This message was presented at the GYC to the end in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. I want to begin this evening by making a correction on last night I told you about uh, the author of Man's Search for Meaning, and I mentioned the name Victor Hugo. I don't really know who Victor Hugo is. I meant to say Victor Frankel. But if you find out about Victor Hugo, you can let me know about him too. Acts of the Apostles, chapter 11, page 105. talking about persecution that is arising and the the danger that was approaching the church. There was danger that the disciples would linger there in Jerusalem too long, Not, not just persecution but also success. Unmindful of the Savior's commission to go to all the world, are you awake tonight? Listen to this. Forgetting that strength to resist evil is best gained by aggressive service. I heard one amen. Forgetting that strength to resist evil is best gained by aggressive service. They began to think that they had no work so important as that of shielding the church in Jerusalem from the attacks of the enemy. Got another gem here. This gem, one of the brethren shared with me. Christ Object Lesson, page 384, the completeness of Christian character. Help us, Holy Ghost. The completeness of Christian character is attained when the impulse to help and bless others springs constantly from within. Man, did you hear that? The completeness of of Christian character is attained when the impulse to help and bless others springs constantly from within when the sunshine of heaven fills the heart and is revealed in the countenance. Lord, have mercy. So I'm not crazy after all. This seemingly strange concept that the things that God wants us to achieve, and in fact, God has purposed that we would attain and achieve, are not always necessarily gained by continuously focusing on those things. Jesus taught, I believe, and lived this principle in Matthew 
chapter 23, verses 11 and 12, the Bible says, but he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. That's backwards, isn't it? No one thinks that the way to the top is by going down. You didn't get on the elevator if you stayed in one of the hotels around here and you stayed on the 15th, 18th, 19th, 20th floor and said, well, let me go down to the first floor. You expect it to go up in order to get up. But in the kingdom of God, Jesus says, if you want to be great, you must be a servant, a slave. This concept is expressed not only in the words of Christ, but all through Scripture. One more time, Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 25. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Jesus always agrees with Scripture, or Scripture always agrees with Jesus, either way you look at it. In the 21st chapter of Numbers, you remember the story. The Israelites began to complain about God's guidance. He was taking too long to get them to their destination, or so they believed, and they began to murmur and complain about God's guidance and His goodness. And so God says, Okay, you want to see what it's like without me? And so he removes the protective covering that rested over the children of Israel and danger that existed but had been kept at bay by unseen forces was at once allowed to come into the camp. Fiery serpents begin to bite the individuals there in the camp. And the solution seemed to be completely illogical. Moses, get a, uh, an enormous pole and make a serpent out of brass and put that serpent on the pole and then allow the word to go out through the, through the camp that whoever looks will live. Now, if you sit here tonight and say that that was reasonable and logical, I know you're lying. Let some snakes up in here tonight. And nobody will be concerned with the message. Everybody will be concerned with getting up out of here as quickly as you possibly can. And if a snake is hanging on your leg, your attention will be fixed on that serpent and trying to relieve yourself. Is that true? Yes or no? And yet God asked the children of Israel to do something that was completely illogical. Listen to me tonight, my friends. Stop looking 
at what is attacking you, what is hurting you, what is perhaps going to take your life. Stop looking at that which is, which is killing you and instead look and live at this serpent on the pole. Many of us are like, I've, I've got to believe some of the children of Israel were, you've got to be out of your mind. I'm looking for where the serpents are. If I can just stop these snakes from biting me, my life will be all right. If I can just put down the pornography, everything will be all right. If I can just leave the alcohol alone, everything will be fine. If I can just get this better job, everything will, will, will flow in the proper direction. If I can just get this sin out of my life, then everything will be all right. But Jesus says, stop fixating on your problem and start fixating on me. Joshua and the children of Israel have entered into the promised land and the fortress city of Jericho is there. And the Bible tells the story, you remember it, that Joshua gets a group of soldiers together and they go up to the wall and they measure the length, the width, the breadth of the wall and, and they get some mathematicians together and they begin to calculate uh, just at what points they can, they can apply pressure so that they will be able to break through. You remember that story, right? You're like, no, we never heard that one. That's because that's not how it went, beloved. God said, I want you to march around the city. <laughs> Woo! I want you to march around the city. You want me to do what? March around the city. But Lord, we're going to be sitting ducks. We're going to be bait target practice. God says, don't worry, just do what I'm asking you to do. But how is this helping us towards our end and our desired goal? It, it doesn't make sense. Just do what I'm asking you to do day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, day seven. And you remember the, the song that all the, of the little children sing, the walls came what? They came tumbling down, not because Israel focused on the wall, but because Israel did what God asked, as improbable as it seemed. The story of Jehoshaphat and the innumerable foes that he was facing, Israel at the Red Sea, Gideon with 300 men. Over and over again, these stories are trying to impress a most powerful lesson upon our hearts and upon our minds, beloved. And the lesson is that the way to accomplish that which we desire is not always going to be the way that we think. Just think about the disciples. Acts chapter 1, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus, you're going to set up an earthly kingdom beside the fact that that was twisted theology. Jesus said, 
I am going to set up an everlasting kingdom. And you know how I'm going to do it? They said, yes, yes, tell us, Jesus. I'm going to go to the cross and die. Judas probably voiced what everyone was thinking. You must be out of your mind. How on earth can going to the cross establish an everlasting kingdom? Someone may be asking themselves tonight, well, okay, Conway, I'm listening to you. I'm listening. I'm looking at you cross-eyed and I don't know, but tell me. If I'm not supposed to focus on my problems and if I'm not supposed to focus and be consumed with my problems and my desires or even my destination, then what, pray tell, am I to focus on? First Kings chapter 3. The Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5, in Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I shall give thee. Oh, don't you like that? How many of you would like God to come and say that to you? Ask what it is that I shall give thee. Verse 6, and Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David my father great mercy, according as he has walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness that thou hast given him, a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. I want to paint the picture for you a little bit. Solomon was a king. He was a what? He was a king. Now, who was the first king of Israel? Saul. And how did that work out for him? Very shortly after Saul was anointed, perhaps just a few years, Saul proved that he was unworthy to be king, and David was anointed as king. My suspicion is that the word got out. Somehow, that God's hand was on David. And even if no one said anything, it was evident to everyone, including Saul, that God's hand was on David for a unique and special work. That work would be to replace him one day as king. David becomes king. And David's, David's reign endured a coup. David's kingdom was stolen from him at the hands of his own son, Absalom. Murder and intrigue, Saul's attempted murders of David, Absalom's attempted murder of David, Absalom's murder of his oldest brother who stood in line to the throne, Solomon, even before he was anointed, had his older brother to proclaim himself king before David, persuaded, urged by Bathsheba and Nathan, 
that something strange was going on in the nation, David rushes and places Solomon on the throne and has him anointed and declared to be king. All of this, beloved, simply to say that Solomon's throne was not secure, humanly speaking. Are you with me tonight? His throne was most certainly not secure. And so it would have been a reasonable request for Solomon to say, establish my throne. Based on what had happened to his father and based on what had happened to Saul before him, it would have been a logical request. Lord, I want to do your will and I understand what you have prophesied, but I can only walk in your will if you establish and secure my throne. But beloved, tonight that's not what Solomon asked. Verse 7, now, O Lord, my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David, my father, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in, and thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Verse 9, give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this thy so great a people? Verse 10, and the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked him this thing. And God said unto him, verse 11, because thou hast asked this thing and has not asked for thyself long life, neither has asked riches for thyself, nor has asked the life of thine enemies, but has asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, verse 12, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. Friends, I like to refer to this as the Solomon principle. The what? The Solomon principle. Solomon asked God for something that would benefit others when it would have been reasonable for him to ask God for something that would purely benefit himself. Solomon's request pleased God because at the heart of Solomon's request were the people of God. And the Bible says that the thing pleased the Lord. Oh, tonight, would that our prayers would please God. Would that God would have a smile on his face when he listens to our prayers. How do your prayers sound? Think about it. 
How do they sound? I'm going to suggest something to you, but I want to help you to understand what I'm going to suggest. The Bible tells us, Jesus says, that we should ask. We should do what? We should ask. When we have a request, we should ask. So I'm not saying don't ask God. But what I'm suggesting tonight is that after you have asked God, you trust that he will do what he has promised that he would do for you. And I am challenging you tonight to turn the focus of your prayers off of yourself. There are parents who are praying for their children. God has heard your prayer. Please him by praying for someone else's children. There are some who are praying for their marriages. God has heard your prayer. Please him by praying for someone else's marriage. I want you to think about this and consider this, dear brothers and sisters. What if the key to God opening heaven's windows was if we were to pray as fervently and earnestly for others as we have prayed for ourselves. What if I'm praying for someone else's, listen to me, what if I'm praying for someone else's victory as passionately as I have prayed for my own? Are you with me tonight? What if I place my desire in the hands of God and then say, Lord, give me that which will benefit others, or better yet, Lord, give Bob that which I have requested for myself. Lord, I know that I'm praying and I'm asking that you would work my job situation out, but work Jack's job situation out as well, Father. Lord, I know that I'm praying that you would, you would recover and you would heal me. But, Father, I'm also praying that you would heal Brother Jerry. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better. Than themselves. Verse 4 Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Praying, beloved, for the good of others becomes key to our good. Seeking victory for others becomes the key to our victory. In fact, I believe that in Scripture, Jesus demonstrated this principle, not just in Scripture, but even beyond in the great controversy. Listen to me. God's method of securing his throne 
was to step out of his throne. Didn't make sense. Seeking the good of humanity was the way that God established before the entire universe that he is worthy. I said it the other night, when we are concerned for the welfare of others, that's, I believe, when we are most like Jesus. How can we have this experience? Number one, know your limitations. What's number one? In 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9, Solomon says, Who is able to judge this, thy so great a people? In other words, friends, Solomon acknowledges that the task that lays before him, he, in his own strength, is unable to perform. Are you with me tonight? We must acknowledge our own limitations. We must know our limitations because when we are aware, when we acknowledge, when we know our limitations, then, beloved, we can lean on the hand of Almighty God. We can depend on Him to do what only divinity can do. I've got to say this because I know in this movement, we don't talk about failure. We don't talk about, and I was at the first GYC, Pine Springs Ranch, California. We don't talk about the people who were there who are not even in the church anymore. We don't talk about the leaders who have fallen. Don't even say their names. Because we want to disassociate ourselves from that failure. That's not what we're about. We're about victory. But failure is real. It's real. And knowing our limitations, knowing our limitations is not a bad thing. We always talk about being able to accomplish that which is impossible, and that's good, and I believe that. But we also ought to know that we are erring, mortal human beings, and we need the power of Almighty God. For with God, all things are possible. Beloved, Jesus did not say when he was preaching, remember Lot's wife because he didn't love her. He didn't say remember Lot's wife because he wanted her to become, uh, or the people's minds to become fixated on her. He said remember Lot's wife as a warning. Her eyes were fixed on the wrong thing. Learn from her mistake. Some of us are here tonight and you're uncomfortable 
Nobody knows you're uncomfortable, but you do. You're uncomfortable because you have a persona and everybody sees you and everybody thinks a certain way about you. And your greatest fear is that you would lose that. What happens if people know my weaknesses? What happens if people know I'm not the person I project myself to be? Will they still love me? And I've got to say tonight, beloved, that the way we have treated those who have fallen says no. And so we've got young people who crave authenticity, who are playing roles. Because you're afraid that you will lose your community. Afraid that people will turn their backs on you. Your phone won't ring anymore. You won't be asked to volunteer at GYC or serve in a position anymore. Something is wrong with that. We need to be a people who understand our limitations, not so that we can glory in our weaknesses, but rather that we may glory in the power of Christ who is able to deliver us from our weaknesses. If you need me, I, I, I'm, I'm an accountability partner for some, for some brethren who said, listen, I need you, pastor. How do you need me? I've been wrestling with this thing called pornography and I'm going to, I'm going to link all of my, my, my electronic devices, my, my computer at home, my laptop, my phone. I'm going to link them up to a service and every week it's going to print out in your email and it'll tell you what I've been doing. Because I understand my limitations. I understand my weakness. And I need divine power, but I also need to know that there's someone who loves me in spite of my weakness. Not just the God who I cannot see, but a brother or a sister who I can. Beloved, we must know our limitations. Number two. We must target the invisible. We must do what? Solomon's prayer, my friends, dealt with his heart. It dealt with his what? I want you to think with me tonight. When you pray, are your prayers focused on your heart or are your prayers focused on what issues out of your heart? There is a difference. We can pray and say, Lord, help me not to be short with my children. Lord, help me to speak kind words to my spouse. Lord, help me to be patient. I want to suggest to you tonight that our prayers must mature beyond that. What do I mean? We must learn to pray towards the invisible. Lord, fix my heart. My impatience is a symptom of the brokenness of my heart. Lord, I'm speaking unkind words 
because there is unkindness in my heart. Fix my heart, Lord. Transform me, change me at the heart level. And when our prayers focus on the invisible, we, we, we graduate beyond praying about our behaviors to praying about what flows or, or what well, uh, we, we, we graduate to praying about uh, the, the very source from which all of the issues of life flow. Beloved, I hope you understand the difference between those prayers. And I believe tonight that it is in service that God reveals to us that we need heart-level transformation, not merely an adjustment in behavior. You know, patchwork religion. Beginning by changing this or that habit. But all the while beginning in the wrong place, what we need is a radical transformation of heart. And here's what I've got to say, beloved. There are two ways that we come to this experience. One of them is through our failures, where God reveals our brokenness because he reveals and exposes our weaknesses. Number two is through looking into the face of Jesus. The more we look at Jesus, the more undone we see ourselves as being. The more unlike him, the closer we come to Jesus, the more unchristlike in our own eyes we become and we fall down and say, Lord, help me. And the work that God wants to do is at the heart level. Are you listening to me tonight? I'm going to ask my musicians to come on out. One night, I like to try my hand at uh, cooking. My family says I'm the best cook in the family. I like that. And I like to exercise that every now and then. And so sometimes as the day is going on and I'm, I'm in the office, I'm visiting, I'm doing whatever, uh, responsibilities fall for that day. And I get an idea in my mind, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a special recipe for the family, something we've never had before. We like to try new things. And so I'll find out where I'm going to pick up all of my necessities in order to, to make this particular recipe. And, 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 and I'll drive to a particular uh, uh, grocery store that, that has these particular ingredients. You know, you can't just go to Walmart for everything. You got to go to some specialty stores. And so, so I'll, I'll find myself in these grocery stores and I'm picking up all of these, these unique and, and special ingredients. And as I'm gathering them together, all the while I'm thinking this is going to be great. When I'm cooking this up, no matter where my family is in the house, they're going to smell it. They're all going to come down. They're going to say, Dad, what is that? My daughter Abigail is going to come and take the lid off and smell. Ooh, Dad, that smells good. What did you put in it? 
then we're all going to sit down around the dinner table and I'm going to, you know, it's not just the meal, it's the presentation, right? So I'm going to plate everything just nice and we're all going to sit down around the table and as we are seated there around the table, they will take bite after bite and everybody's going to say, mmm, dad, this is so good. Oh, you are such a wonderful cook. And my wife is going to say, thank you, honey. I really had a long day. I'm just so glad that you came home and you prepared dinner for everyone. Thank you so very much. And I'm going to smile and I'm going to say yes. Ding. I pull up into the driveway. It's dark now. The the lights are on and I'm still rolling this picture around in my mind and I get out of the car and I grab the grocery bags and I come to the door I put the key in the in the doorknob I turn it I open the door I come in and my children are hanging on the walls there is peanut butter and jelly sandwich crust on the floor that I have to step over just to make it inside of the house Dishes are piled up on the table. Dishes are piled up in the sink. There's stuff from yesterday that's on the stove and I'm wondering what on earth is going on. Sounds like a zoo, feels like a zoo. Where is your mom at? Well, mom is upstairs. She's been upstairs for a while. Have you guys eaten? Yeah, we had peanut butter, peanut butter and jelly. I have some gourmet level stuff for you. And you have peanut butter and jelly? I'm upset. The Spirit of God says, calm down. Have prayer with the children because it's late. Make sure they brush their teeth. Make sure they lay down in their beds. Then come downstairs and clean. Pick up the peanut butter and jelly crust. Wash the dishes. And I begin to do this. The kitchen is sparkling clean and the, ho- the house is clean and the groceries are seated there or are or, 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 or sitting there on the table and I sit down and I take a breath after I've finished everything. Oh, I'm exhausted. This night did not go like I planned. My wife comes down and now I got to look really tired. (sighs) (sighs) Pull out a chair, throw up a leg. Oh, Oh, honey, thank you. I was a long day. I want some sympathy now. But all the while I'm upset because this didn't quite go the way I planned. And and my wife begins to say, honey, I was just on the phone with so-and-so, someone that our family has been ministering to, that we've been working with. I was on the phone for the last two and a half hours ministering to them in a time of crisis and my balloon is deflated. I felt bad. I I was disturbed. But when I find out that my wife was in ministry, I am deflated. You had no right to feel and think the way that you did. 
And then I'm wrestling with God. What is it that's that's taking place here? What's this feeling that I'm experiencing deep down in my heart? And God says, Stephen, you wanted to be treated like a king tonight, but I wanted your wife and your family to be treated like royalty tonight. You wanted to be served by your family telling you how wonderful of a chef you are and how thankful for you they are, but I needed you to serve your wife tonight. And I say, Lord, am I that selfish? And God says, yes, you are. But Lord, it wasn't a bad thing to want the family to sit around the table and have dinner. No, no, no. I'm not saying it was a bad thing. But Stephen, in order for me to reveal what's lurking in the depths of your heart, I had to use this experience to show you yourself. It was only through performing these acts of service that I could reveal to you what was lacking in your life so that you would turn to me and say, Father, take it out of me. Taken out of me. Beloved, this type of service that reaches the heart is what each and every one of us needs so that we can hear the voice of God speaking to us. Not about merely changing behaviors but about radically transforming our hearts. And then we can surrender as we never have before. We can pray as we never have before. And when we pray, we can trust that God will do for us what we could never do for ourselves because without him, we would not have even known ourselves. This message was recorded at the GYC to the end in Houston, Texas. GYC, supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.